Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. How's everyone doing? Good. If you don't know, my name is Matt. I'm part of the team here at Global. Um, I'm part of Global Revs, actually. We were out last night at York St. John Students' Union. We had a great night just talking to students about church and about our faith, about our journey. It was amazing. So many good stories of people hearing about it for the first time. And, and uh, today I want to talk to you about um, something called, that I call squad goals. Does anyone, does anyone else use Instagram? Yeah, has anyone ever seen this hashtag before? I'm going to talk to you about squad goals. Squad goals is like a hashtag that people use on Instagram. I'm guilty. I've used it a few times. It's something you put on the end of your post to let everyone know, this is the squad. This is the crew. This is like, this is the gang. These people in this picture, these guys are it. They're like the very best. The creme de la creme of the people that I know in my life right now are in this photo. And they're And I want to really unpack one of our key values, which is love people. You know, we're a missional church. We we don't kind of sit in here hoping randomly that people might just one day walk in and join us. No, we go out into the world and we love people because we're people who've been loved. But I'll get to that in a minute. Squad goals is the kind of church that we're supposed to be. Love people is the kind of church that we're aiming to be. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you this morning and kind of somehow try and finish off this series that we've had in Philippians before we start our next series next week. But I don't know about you, growing up, I was like a bunch of different people throughout my childhood and teenage years. When I was a kid, all my friends at school were nerds, like proper geeks. I'm talking like year six, they were like, we were all fighting to see who could get like the highest grade on our SATs. Like, how bad is that? Like, sats, I don't even know if they matter. But if they do, we were, like, fighting for it. So because they were all like that, I was like that. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but they were all, they were all like that. So I did the same thing. Then I went to secondary school, right? And when I got to secondary school, I met all these awesome people who were into music where, I mean, music's a very loose term when you talk about the kind of thing that I used to listen to, where it was like everyone just screamed and shouted, and you went to gigs, and you it was fine to punch everyone in the face. And like, as a teenager, I was like, this is awesome. I get to go to a gig on my skateboard, punch everybody, and everyone's fine with it, and then we all go and get food after. Like, couldn't believe it. The dream. But then I went to college, and it all changed again because my, all my friends from my teenage years stayed on at sixth form, but I decided I was nowhere near intelligent enough to do A-levels, so I thought, B-tech, great. <laughs> You just get literally a BTEC in graphic design, which is the equivalent of two years of coloring in for grown-ups. And uh, so I went and did that, and I met these awesome people who were into graffiti and grime music and dubstep and drum and bass. So I changed my whole wardrobe, all the, like, all the clothes that represented all these bands that I used to listen to. They all went out the window, and I started buying like all black and Nike um, Jordan 1s and Dunks, spent all my money on trainers pretended I was into graffiti, but I was always too scared to do anything illegal because my mum and dad are terrifying people. So that never happened, but I said it did. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's who I became because that's who I was around. And then I went to university and um, I met all these guys who were into hip-hop. Like, 
that's, what, that's who they were, and they were all really cool, and I was still a chubby white guy, but if I listened to that, then maybe I could be cool as well. So I changed again, and maybe you can relate to that a little bit this morning, that in different periods of your life, you'll have become a slightly different people, person because of the squad that you were around. Like the people that were around you had a profound effect on who you were, or how you dressed, or how you thought about certain things, or your opinion on certain matters. It changes because of who you are around. And at Global, we have this key, and it's called loving people. And it's the key that we use to be the kind of squad that changes people's lives before they've even stepped foot in a church. And we have four, four ways that we become this squad goal kind of church. But I won't just get to them just yet. I want to tell you a little story first. Everyone up for a little story? And uh, it's in Mark 2, this story. It says, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I love it. I love how underplayed this story is. It's so, like everything that happens in that tiny little thing is just mind-blowing to me. So mind-blowing, in fact, that I'm going to spend the next few minutes somewhat reading between the lines and filling in the blanks so that you can get on the same page that I'm on. Is that all right? Good. So we've got these four guys. This is where the story really starts. Four guys, four average blokes. They don't have names. We never know who they are. We don't, we don't get like their Instagram or Twitter handle. None of that. The only thing we know about them is that they know a paralyzed guy. They know a guy who's been led on the side of the road for a mat for a whole bunch of time. And they've, clearly they know him because they know exactly where to find him when they hear that Jesus is in town. So they've got an idea of who this guy is. Hopefully they're a pal. I, I think they're probably a friend because of what happens next. But if they They've seen him for like years and years and years struggle with this thing. He's never been able to get up. He's never been able to move. He's never been able to do this thing. And because they're friends and they know him, clearly like that's hurting them a little bit. It's something they've tried. You can imagine like they've encouraged him. They've told him about this new blog that they've read about how maybe if he does X, Y, and Z, then maybe something will start to happen for him. They've probably like prayed for him a bunch of times. They've probably taken him food, money, everything he could possibly ever want. And nothing's helped until now, until this moment when we find him in, because they've heard about this other person. So there's the one guy who's the paralyzed guy on the map, but then They've heard about this other guy, and this other guy is this guy called Jesus, and we don't know. Maybe one of them grew up with him. Maybe one of them went to high school, and he was, the, he was like the guy in the class who couldn't get anything right, but there was this other guy called Jesus who always got everything right. But now, who knows? We don't know how they know him, but we know that they heard about him, and we know that they heard that he was healing people. He was making people better who could never get better. He was casting demons out of people. He was doing amazing things, and they thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment. So they went and found their friend, the one that they've spent years trying to help, and they scooped him up. They picked him up and they carried him towards this guy called Jesus, just not knowing, not 100% knowing that anything would change, but just hoping that maybe something would happen for their friend. So they scooped him up, and we don't know how far they carried him. We've got no idea, but you better believe it was difficult. 
They were carrying a fully grown man on a little mat through hot streets, through busy streets, on their shoulders or, or down there. They probably had to switch all the time. If you've ever like, carried anything of any weight, you know that you're constantly trying to maneuver to get that little bit of strength left out of your muscles. But they just kept going and kept going and kept going until they thought that they found the place. And the reason that they found the place wasn't just because it was a little bit busy. It was like a lot busy. You know them horror stories where some kid, his parents have gone on holiday, so he's put on Facebook, like, house party at mine, come round at seven, bring your own beer, and like a million people turn up and tear the place to bits. It was like that. There was people spewing out onto the streets. They couldn't get anywhere near. They couldn't get anywhere near into the house, but they never gave up. And I love that. That is, that's squad goals, right? That's the kind of people you want in your life, the kind of people who, they didn't turn around, they didn't sit down and have a sulk, they didn't give up. They didn't think, ah, oh, well, we tried. We tried. Back to the mat. Back to the street corner. You'll be all right. You've lasted this long. They didn't do any of that. They didn't even sit there and wait just on the off chance that a bunch of people got bored and left so maybe they could sneak in the back. They decided to do this other outrageous thing, which was climb the roof and tear it off so that they could lower the friend in right on Jesus, right, right in the middle of the room. I mean, imagine that. Jesus is sat in this busy room. It's hot, it's sweaty, it's disgusting. There's people everywhere. Jesus is there. The lights are coming on. I'm preaching. No, I'm joking. I always wanted to say something like that. So cheesy. And, <laughs> and uh, Jesus is sat there with his like, lukewarm mug of coffee that one of the disciples has just about managed to squeeze through the crowd to get him. And he's just about to take the first sip and a bit of plaster falls in. Then another bit. Then a brick lands right in front of him. Everyone starts looking up. There's some angry guy in the corner who actually owns the house who didn't give any permission for any of this to happen. But suddenly his roof's coming through. So he's shouting, threatening legal uh, ramifications, violence, everything. Jesus looks up and there's a stretcher coming down with four people lowering him, lowering him in nice and careful. And he looks up at this guys, these four people and says, because of your faith, he's forgiven. Forgiven of his sins forever. Then he heals him. I mean, what a win. The, the guy was led on the ground at the start of the day. And then he walks out of this house with a, with a brand new future. A life that he could never imagine possible. Why? Squad goals. He had four amazing guys around him who weren't willing to leave him in that place. They weren't willing to leave him in a place of where he's locked up, where he doesn't have a future, where he doesn't have a hope. And this morning, I want to tell you that that's the church we're trying to be. That's the church that global is. We're the kind of church that finds people who are locked up and paralyzed, not maybe by, I mean, maybe in health, but maybe it's worry or fear or doubt or guilt or shame or insecurities or their past, their present, their future. People who are locked up without a hope and without a solution. We don't try and answer every problem. We don't try and give them all the wisdom in the world. We just pick them people up and carry them to the only solution we know. And it's the solution that solves every single one of their problems. And that solution is Jesus Christ. And before I go any further, there's probably someone or many people in the room who were sat there thinking this morning, you sound like you're talking about a bunch of perfect people. People who've never got anything wrong in their life. So they have the right to pick me up who's struggling. Not at all. The reason we know 
where Jesus is. And the reason we know to carry people towards him is because we've all been that person on the mat. Every single one of us has been locked up by things we've done wrong, things that we regret, fears that we have, worries, all the things that I mentioned earlier. Every one of us has been that person on the mat and has had four, however many guys, how many girls around us, that squad goal type of people who've carried us towards Jesus. So you know what? We know exactly where to take people. Because if it worked for me and it worked for a a bunch of you guys as well, then it's probably going to work for everyone else in the world as well. So shall I I go to the first one? Squad goal number one is real. I I imagine now I've said real, you might be able to guess the other three. But don't (laughs) skip too far ahead. Real. How important is it to have people around you who are real? Like real with you. Like honest, open, like they can tell you how it is. Let me tell you about, really quickly, I won't spend too long, I'll tell you about three people in my life who I know at any given point in certain areas will be real. The first one is a guy called, some of you all know him. Anyway, me and have this pact, it's kind of an unspoken pact, but at any given time in our lives, we know that if one of us makes a certain sound, which is a sniffing sound, followed by a nod, I stink. So if he looks at me and goes, and nods, I know I stink, right? And if I do the same to him, I know he's, we have this like deodorant pact where at any given point, we can be totally real with each other and go, bro, you stink. You need to do something about it. So then we know either we scurry off and find some deodorant or if we're feeling particularly helpful, we turn up with like a used roll-on. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> That's minging, right? <laughs> Another person is one of the leaders here at Global. He's one of my good friends. He's also my boss, so that really helps. And, uh, but we have this thing where if we hear each other say the same phrase multiple times, we relentlessly torture each other by repeating it back to each other until we stop saying that exact same thing. So for me, mine for a while was, in my head I'm thinking, like you can do any other way of thinking. But I used to say, in my head, I'm just thinking that, and he'd go, oh yeah, you're thinking in your head. And he said it so many times, he was real with me to the point where now I don't say it anymore and I don't sound like an idiot who's claiming that you can think anywhere else. <laughs> the third person's my wife. Some of you probably met her. Um, I know it's hard to believe, but at one point in my life, I wasn't this kind of good-looking, slim-ish guy who stayed before me. I was a whale, right? I was... I was a big guy, like I'm talking big, and, uh, and, uh, and I got together with when we were about 16, and um, I'd love to say that it was love or affection or any of those things that caused me to lose weight. It wasn't. I was oblivious. It was telling me, lose some weight. In fact, if you don't lose six stone, I won't say yes when you propose, and uh, that was the absolute best, like having someone in, in your world who can be that real with you about anything anything. But the best thing about those three people is not what they say. It's always the fact that they come with a solution. So doesn't send me an email a week later saying, just an FYI, Matt, I thought you'd like to know that a week ago when you were talking to all those new people for the first time, you stunk. He doesn't do that. He offers me the solution right there and then. He tells me, sneaks me a little deodorant. I managed to put it on without anyone knowing. It's definitely not that smooth doesn't just relentlessly torture me the way I made out. He actually gives me a better way to say things. He doesn't just say like, oh yeah, yeah. He doesn't just repeat it back to me over and over again. He says, you know, you could say it like this. And I do, so I've got a solution 
to my problem. She didn't just say what I just said she said. That sounds brutal. She actually like taught me how to eat vegetables and, and <laughs> be healthy and exercise and like do things like walk instead of getting a taxi everywhere and things like that. Every one of them came with a solution. Squad goals. Just like these four people. The four people that we're talking about. They didn't go up to their friend and go, you're paralyzed. In a bit. We're going to go and see Jesus. They were real with him. They said, you've got a problem that you can't get through yourself. But I think we've got a solution. So we're going to take you to it. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Not the kind of church who like, points out everyone's problems, like some kind of moral police, like we go around in the office or in the student halls or in the workplace saying, do you know what, I think it's this exact bit of your life that keeps causing all this hurt for you. Like, you should really work on that. Peace. Like, we don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be the kind of church who says, yeah, we are real with people. You know what, you keep doing that and it's really hurting you. You keep making that same mistake and it's putting pain in your life, but come with me because there's a solution to that problem and every single problem we find on the way and all the problems that we'll find after the fact, and that is Jesus. That's why you can't be arrogant about it. You can't be like rude about it. You can't be like offensive about it in one sense because you're not the solution. You're not the answer to their problems, but you know the answer to their problems. How freeing is that? that you don't have to be the solution to the problems around you. You just have to point to the solution, and that's Jesus, and he never changes. So first challenge today, are you the kind of person who can be real with the people around you? And spoiler alert, that realness heavily relies on point three, but we'll get to that in a minute. Are you the kind of person who can be real, not just about the issue, but about the absolute best possible solution? Are you the kind of person who points out people's problems then tries to fix it in your infinite wisdom? Or are you the kind of person who realizes that someone has a problem that you have no hope of helping, but you definitely know the person who can, and that's Jesus? Squad goal number two is relevant. How often do we con ourselves into believing that relevant means cool? Like if I'm relevant, if I'm cool, then I can help somebody. Relevant doesn't mean cool. Relevant means right here, right now, in the mix, being able to say, I was there. I'll skip forward a little bit. You know the guy on the mat? I, I, I guarantee he probably couldn't. He didn't pick those four guys based on what they were dressed or their opinion on music or what their best film was. He was just buzzing they were there. <laughs> they were in the mix. They were right there, which means every one of us can be relevant this morning. Regardless of who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you're into, you can be relevant. You can be a relevant member of a squad goal for somebody out there who needs Jesus. One of, one of my favorite stories that I have about being like in the moment, it features a guy who also comes to church. He's a guy called, he's one of my oldest friends. We've known each other for absolutely years. We grew up together. And when I turned 18, he became like my unofficial um, like rave kind of signposter in Manchester. Basically, when I turned 18, he used to take me to these raves in Manchester, and uh, they were in like car parks, or like, none of them were particularly normal, but it was always good fun, right? And, uh, and he once said, like, don't worry, this time we don't, have to, we don't have to leave early for the last train, because I've found us a place to stay. Uh, and I was like, cool, I didn't know, I just trusted him. I was like, who, who is it? Oh, it's one of my friends from high school who I haven't seen in years, but it's fine. So we left this rave, say, at like three in the morning. 
We got some food. We ended up at this guy's house. All was fine until around 5.30, 6 a.m. I'd just gotten up because I had to be back for college. So I was in the shower and I just heard this thick Nigerian accent screaming at Stevie. I, was, I bricked it. I was like, what is going on? And I came out and basically friend who we knew really well from high school had basically allowed us to sleep on this guy's floor without ever checking it off. The landlord reappeared, thought we were squatters living in his house and was ready to kick us out. So we had to like put half our clothes on. We were running through the streets of Manchester in this place we never knew. Um, we, we had no idea. We were terrified and we were just running. And it's, that story probably doesn't mean all that much to you. But it means the world to me because I can say we were in that moment together. We escaped that guy. (laughs) We didn't know what was going to happen, but we got out of there and we lived to tell the tale. It's an amazing story because we can always look back and say, I was there. And those four guys for that guy on the mat can look back and say, I was there. I was there in his moment of biggest pain. I was there in the process. I was there when we carried him. I was there when we lowered him. And I was there to watch him walk out with a future. And relevant can be summed up in that phrase. I was there. Are you the kind of person who, amongst your friends, amongst the people that you do life with, can say, I was there. I was there when you were really struggling. I was there when everything was going wrong for you. I was there when you never thought you could move on. And I was there when you found the solution because I helped you find it. That's relevant. They didn't do it when it was convenient for them or when they felt ready. Not after they'd had their morning coffee, done their stretches, got in the correct mental and emotional state. They heard Jesus was there. They saw the need and they made it happen. That's relevant. Remember that guy we've been talking about, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians? He says this in one of his other books, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, it says, Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralist, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. Just pause there, because I don't know about you, I have made the mistake of taking on like other people's lives to try and be relevant to reach them. But Paul says, I didn't do that. I just kept my bearing in Christ, but I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Relevance isn't about being able. It's about being available. You are your most relevant to somebody if you're just in that moment with them. They won't remember what you're wearing. They won't remember the cool words you said, unfortunately. They won't remember like what opinion you have on the latest album that's just come out. But they will remember that you were in that moment with them. So challenge number two, if you want to be a squad goal kind of person, like these four guys kind of person to the people out there or the people in your dinner party, the people in your church, the people in your family, whoever, just be around. Be in the moment. Be the kind of person that when they look back and say, I found my solution and I know who was there in the moment with me. Squad goal number three. This is the one that underpins squad goal number one and two. Relational. They knew him. They must have known him. How else would they know where to find him? (laughs) 
They didn't just bring a randomer to Jesus. They brought a guy that they knew. This is what I mean about it being the, the underpinning factor for being real and relevant in people's lives, is you have to be relational. How well do you think it would have gone if these four guys just happened to be walking to Jesus, saw a guy that they'd never met before, paralyzed on a mat, and just scooped him up without telling him where, the, where he was going or what was happening or what was about to happen and just started walking him towards somewhere. But they've never met him before. They don't know who he is. I'll answer for you, terribly. <laughs> Probably an arrest. Probably something really bad would happen. This wasn't like, it wasn't some random encounter with some pe person that they felt sorry for. This was like a person that they knew. In the same way, it won't go well for you or for me if, you st if we stop a random person in our lives who we've never met before and demand that right now I have to tell you about the solution to all your problems, it's Jesus, and then walk off. <laughs> it's not going to go well, right? Because the, the missing key, the missing thing would be relational. And that as a church, that, that underpins everything. We can be, I can be real with every person who I talked about being real with because we're relational. We know each other. I, can, I have that relevant right here, right now story with Steve because we're relational. It wasn't a random guy that I slept next to in Manchester, thank goodness. <laughs> it wasn't some random dude that I ended up running away from this guy who we thought was going to kill us. It was, we were relational. We'd known each other. We do know each other. You have to be relational in order to build the bridge that the real and relevant can walk over. If they didn't know him, like, let's, we'll put that as like the underpinning thing. You have to be relational. But let's say that we are relational or we were kind of flirting with the idea of relational. Do you think that if they weren't relational with this guy, they would have kept carrying him and kept carrying him and kept carrying him? I don't. Like I'm, I can help somebody who I've met once for a little bit. But if I'm relational, if it's, one of my, if it's one of the guys, if it's one of the squad, I can help them again and again and again. I can go the distance with people loving them because we're relational. There's more in it than just that chance first encounter. Do you think if they weren't relational, they would have carried on going and going and going once they saw the house was full? Or do you think they'd have just left him outside and thought, we've done our bit, we've got him here? No, they were relational. It caused, him to, it caused them to carry on, to keep going, to keep seeking. They were so desperate to find a solution to this person's problem that they knew that they wouldn't stop. That's the kind of friend I want to be. That's the kind of love people that I want to be known for, that I'm relational with people, so I'll keep going and going and going, even when they keep doing the same mistake that leads them into the same thing over and over and over again. I'll be the kind of person, because I'm relational, I'll be real enough to tell them, but then relevant enough to be in that mix every single time with people until they find their solution. And that solution's Jesus. And that's the kind of church we want to be, relational with people, building such tight-knit relationships with the communities around us that we do have the right and we do have the, 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 the potential to say, I think I've got a solution to your problem and it's not me and it's not you, it's Jesus. And if you'll just come with me, I guarantee it's going to change your life forever because it has done for me. 
That's what relational allows you to do. It allows you to keep going and going and going with people. Not to be able to say, I was in him, I was with him or her in that moment once, but I was with them constantly. And I was the one who was real with them. I didn't, let, I didn't keep letting them make the same thing and hurting themselves the same way. I was real because we're relational and we walked together towards the solution. Anyone want to hazard a guess what squad no number four is? Robust, well played. They tore the flipping roof off. That's robust. But that wasn't the one act of robust. These guys were constantly robust on behalf of their friend. They were robust enough to not go and see Jesus by themselves. They were robust enough to pick him up. They were robust enough to keep carrying him through those busy streets and into that, into that arena where people were flooding towards Jesus to try to get to him. They were robust enough to keep walking the journey. They were robust enough to not stop even when they were sore it was full. They were so determined, so robust in their ambition to see their friends saved from his problems that they tore a roof off in order to get him in. That's the kind of church we see, you know. Whatever it is in people's worlds, I know for me, I had people in my life who were robust enough to tear things off for me so that I could get to my solution, Jesus. Now, my problem wasn't a roof that I needed to be lowered through, but it was pride. It was like thinking I know better. It was being a bit of a performance addict who didn't want to let that die. But I had robust people around me who said, you're not going to get to that solution while you're being so arrogant. You're not going to get to that solution until you, until you remove that part of your life. So graciously and lovingly, because we love people, they helped me remove those things so that I could get closer and closer to the solution. And that's the kind of church we are, that in a real, relevant, and relational way, we help people tear off whatever it is that's stopping them from getting to Christ. I love it, with absolutely no guarantee of what would happen in the moment, ignoring everything the world said was conventional. They tore the roof off so that their friend could find the solution. Remember at this point, they didn't know whether Jesus was going to save them. They weren't sure that he was going to heal them, but they were willing to do everything that they could because they were so robust just to give their friend the chance, right? The brilliant thing is, you do know. You do know that Jesus can change people's lives. Well, hopefully you do. If you don't, he definitely can, and he can change your life this morning. I promise you that. I'm not, but we know, what, we know that Jesus can heal lives. We, need, we know as a church that Jesus can change people, so we can be robust with an added confidence that when we get people there, he can change them. They ignore convention, bypass too cool for school, just to help people find, help their friend find their solution. They let go of reputation in order to see that person get rescued. Robust means letting go of convenience. It does. Letting go of our convenience so that we can find people their solution, which is Jesus Christ. They had a desperation in that moment. They were so desperate for him to get in front of Jesus, they were willing to tear a roof off. But that desperation wasn't how we view desperation because we view it as weak. We view it as, 
If you're anything like me, I view desperation as like that person's at the very last leg. They're on the knees. They haven't got anything else, so they're desperate. For these guys, desperation was strength. It was like, I am so desperate that that person gets there that I'll do everything it takes to get them in front of their possible solution. You know who they, these four people remind me of? Dave and Shelley Shaw. Desperate for the world out there to hear church. So they'll do everything. They'll ignore every convention of church. They'll change every part of a service. They'll be out in the Biltmore until three in the morning. They'll love people again and again and again because they're desperate for people to find the same solution that they have. And that's the church that they're building. That's the church that we're building. A church that's desperate. If God said, if it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so loved, desperate, he so loved the world that he did the most amazing thing. He sent his son so that, to die for every single one of us so that no matter what we're walking through, we have the solution to the problem that we're heading through, the thing that's paralyzing us, the thing that's keeping us broken and held down on that mat. Jesus is that solution. And we've got it. So we need to take it out there. We need to be the kind of church that people say, that's my squad. When they're putting a photo on their Instagram and they're hashtagging squad goals, it's you in the photo because you were the one who never gave up on them. You were the one who were honest with them when no one else would be. You were the person who were relevant, the person who was there every single time. You were the person who was relational, who walked through it, and you were the person who was robust enough to break down all the things in their life that they couldn't break down so that they could find the greatest hope and the greatest love, the greatest thing they will ever find, and that's salvation. That's a relationship with Jesus that means not only are they healed, not only is the answer that they, that they didn't even walk in with. This guy led there hoping, maybe my legs will work. And they did. He walked out healed, but even better than that, he walked out forgiven. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be the kind of church, squad goals, loving people, real, relevant, relational, robust. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website, 